Let's open with prayer. Let us pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, to joy and rejoicing unspeakable and full of glory in him, to whom with thee, O Father, and thee, O Holy Spirit, one blessed Trinity, be ascribed all honor, might, majesty, and dominion now and forever. Amen. It's right out of 1 Peter. It's pretty nice, man. Praying the scriptures. All right, everyone have a handout? Anyone not have one? Burkholz will find you. All right, keep it up high. Here we go. Well, it's been a little while. You know, the handout you've got there says the 16th of December on it. So it shows you, you know, when I thought we'd be on this. And then we take a few, few weeks off for uh, Christmas. Hopefully everyone had a good Christmas, but now we're back in the swing of things. We ended, though, last time by looking at the uh, De La Tour's uh, painting and also at R.S. Thomas' The Cane Poem. Everyone recall? Okay, good. Uh, we looked at all of that, and kind of the overarching theme was that God's grace and God's beauty permeates all of creation. Okay, it permeates all of creation, which includes... You. Permeates all of creation, which includes you. So today, what we'd like to talk about is really the second half of that, okay? God's grace or God's beauty permeates one, all of creation, but specifically, now it permeates you. So we're going to talk about something, this is a big word, mystical union, how the Lord gets at you and joins himself to your flesh. So that'll be the first part, how the Lord gets at you and joins himself to your flesh. And then the second part, what that means for your life. Okay? It's very, it's very strange, because um, probably the first question you'd ask is, what does this mean for me? Which, frankly, is a very postmodern question. Um, people no longer are asking about, you know, rational proofs for Jesus or proofs for the resurrection. These are kind of broad strokes. But people are asking, okay, what does all of this mean for me? Why should, why should I show up on Sunday morning? What does it mean for me? Uh, what does community mean for me? What does it mean to be forgiven? What does it mean to, you know, vow to do something for the rest of your life? As we talk with the confirmation kids, you know, confess the creed and, and come to church. What does all of that mean for you? The great thing is the Lord can answer even the postmodern question in a very concrete, tangible, post-postmodern way. Okay? So today, it's not only how the Lord gets at you, uh, but what, is, what exactly does that mean for your life? Okay? So look at your sheet, point one, where we've been. You remember that beauty is objective. And no one laughed last time I said it's not a Monet. No, one, no one's ever heard that joke. It's a Monet, it's good from far, it's far from good. <laughs> yeah, one person. The third time I've said it, one person laughs. Next week that won't appear in the study guide, I promise. Beauty is objective, okay? So it's not a matter of taste, it's not a Monet, it's not about you. Beauty is sacramental, though, so it engages the entire person, which is part of the reason why we've gone to talking about the five senses in, in grade school chapel. The Lord just doesn't engage your ears or your eyes. He engages the entire person. And as we'll see in this discussion, he takes up residence in your flesh. Beauty is also divine. This is Aquinas. Beauty is God. It begins with God. God is beauty. And beauty is delivered. Somehow it has to be given to you, okay? So as it was with the Blessed Virgin Mary, whom we talked about weeks and weeks and weeks ago, back in October, 
so it has gone with you. Um, And as you see there, it's not about you. It is about you because it's first about the Lord. And what he does is he puts himself on you and covers you with his flesh. So point two, you are extraordinarily beautiful. Because the objective, it's not about you, sacramental, it engages your entire person, divine, it begins with God, and delivered, it's been given to you, reality that came when Christ covered you with himself. Think Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. All of that then has made you extraordinarily beautiful. And we ended the section on Mary by, by talking about the young girl who went to Lourdes and she did a pilgrimage and, and when she came back she said, I realize that beauty is not what I find on a magazine. But beauty is suffering. Beauty is me being redeemed. Beauty is the Lord getting at me and covering me with himself. And you say that to an eighth grade to an eighth grader, boys or girls, and it's funny to see their reaction to that, because that's not what they expect beauty to be. But in confirmation, I'll be honest, I think it's transformed these kids to realize that beauty is not about them. It's not about what they see, but it's about the Lord putting himself on these kids. He covers them with his flesh, they bear the body of Jesus, and in that respect, they are extraordinarily beautiful. Okay, so that's where we've been. Now where we're going. There is more to beauty than the Lord merely putting it on you. One way he gets at you. But there's more to beauty than the Lord just putting himself on you. So you'll see there, point three, there is more. Beauty is not merely favor. Now I included some, some words there you may not be familiar with, so let's work through these. Favor, forensic. Forensic, the Roman forum, you remember? Uh, the, how many of you have seen Gladiator? Oh, great movie, best soundtrack ever. And Russell Crowe, he's a man's man, I like him. I'm serious. I like Russell Crowe. Now how he acts outside the, you know, uh, he also got in a fist fight outside of a hotel in London once. I still like Russell Crowe. That is a great movie. And you remember the scene where, I I always forget exactly what he says, and if I said it right now, Abby would say, you got it all wrong, so I won't say it. I won't do it, just to spare her. But you remember at one point, they've just fought the battle out on the arena floor, and... um, and Caesar comes down and either gives them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. If Caesar says, says thumbs up, you live. If Caesar, Caesar puts his thumb down, you die. I mean, that's essentially what the Roman Forum is all about. Caesar decides, no matter what you've done, how well you've done, whether you've won the battle or not, what crimes you've committed, Caesar says he lives or he dies. It's forensic. Okay? He declares you. You may be guilty of sin, but he declares you not guilty. Okay, So favor, forensic, he declares you not guilty. It's God on you. Why does God declare you not guilty? Because as Galatians 3 says, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. When the Father looks at you, he sees his Son. Okay, When the Father looks at you, he sees his Son. And this is even, you know, this is, you remember in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant... Okay, here's the ark. Here are the angels with their wings. And here's the mercy seat where the blood was poured. Now in here were the ten words, right? Which many of you think are all law. 
But here's the mercy seat. And when the Father looks down and looks to the mercy seat, He sees through the blood and sees what's in here. That's forensic justification. That's who you are in Christ. The Father sees you in light of His Son's blood. And so, therefore, He's declared you righteous. You're forgiven. Even though, like me, we're still damn sinners. He says, not guilty. So that's one aspect. That's Christ, that's the Father on you. That's God on you. The second part is God in you. So look at the next point. Beauty is also gift. In the Latin, donum. It's effective. It renews you. It gets inside of you. This is God in your flesh. And you see this all throughout the scriptures. In fact... Uh, one, of the most, one of the most explicit examples is Mary. Okay? And this will take us back to where we were before, but hopefully it will give you a good idea of where we're going as well. Here's the angel, right? Here's the angel with big wings. Okay, here's Gabriel. Here's Mary, M-A-R-Y. He speaks into her ear. And you remember what he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Is that forensic talk? Yes, it is. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the one to be born to you will be called holy. And at that very moment, what happens? She's pregnant. Jesus takes up residence in her flesh. So even in the person of Mary, you already get a picture of the distinction and the similarity and the way they work in communion between gift and favor, God on you and God in you. Okay? We've talked about God on you. Now we're going to God in you. Is everyone tracking? Please raise your hand if you're not. Okay. So with Mary, the power of the Most High will come upon you, and the the Spirit of the Most High will overshadow you. That's all forensic talk. It covers her, just like you've been covered with Jesus. And then instantly at that very moment, Jesus takes up residence in her flesh. It's on her, and it's in her. Now, I'll I'll just be blunt, which I don't have a problem doing. I think too often, and this is not a bad thing, the first word from a Lutheran's mouth, or from a Christian's mouth, needs to be Jesus on you, which is what we've talked about. But we don't always take it to the next logical step, which is Jesus in you, and how he, in an effective way, actually transforms who you are. So you hear a lot of this kind of talk, Jesus on you. You hear a lot of this forensic talk. Why are you saved? Because the Father declared me not guilty. But the next step is to say, not only has he declared me not guilty, but he's taken up residence in my flesh and he's transformed who I am as Christian. Because to be not guilty is one thing. To be joined to the flesh of Jesus is a whole other thing. But the two go hand in hand. Okay? So beauty is not merely favor. It is also gift. It is renewal. It is God, Christ, in you. Beauty is about presence. And this is back from Pastor Bruzik the very first week. It's on you and it's in you. Think Noam in the Hebrew, our Lord's incarnational presence on his altar as he devours the sacrifice with fire. Even right there, you can see the two sides to the same coin. He is on the altar, forensic, and yet he is in the fire consuming it. 
He is in the animal, burning it up. That's gift. That's Christ in you. So even there in Psalm 4, you have favor and gift. He's on the altar, and yet he's the fire which consumes the sacrifice. Okay? And this is where we're trying to get then. Beauty diffuses into creation, Pastor Bruzek, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, six weeks ago. And by diffusing himself into creation, he diffuses himself into you. Point four. But this uniting presence or this mystical union where you and Jesus are one and the same is really not a new thing at all. So here are a couple examples. First, the Lord on mystical union. You remember this all the way back from Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, now listen for this mystical union talk. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam and Eve are one and the same. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So when the world sees you as a married spouse, they should also see your husband or your wife because you are one and the same. And, and just, you know, think this through in your own life. People always say, I can feel their pain. You probably can feel someone's pain even more deeply when it's your own spouse because you are one flesh. Your spouse is dying of cancer. You can probably, in a real way, feel that pain. And that's the same way with your kids, frankly. But I think especially with your spouse because it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve where Eve is formed out of a part of Adam. And the two become one flesh and live as married couple. Okay? So there's one example of mystical one fleshness, mystical union. And St. Paul then runs with this idea of marriage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now listen in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That is baptism talk. Okay? That is baptism talk. Cleansing that occurs on the outside. She was once dirty, and now she's clean. Baptism. Forensic. This is on you talk. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is, the, this is Caesar saying, not guilty. He lives. When the father sees you, he says, he or she lives. Because he or she has been washed with the water of Christ. In the same way, though, now listen, because it'll get to gift talk here. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Not a different body, it's your body. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is gift talk now. First he washes you with the water, now you're one flesh. And just in case you don't get it, St. Paul says, okay, I'll give you a little hint. Verse 32, this mystery in the Latin sacrament is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So all this talk about marriage, all this talk about mystical one fleshness, all this talk about a woman coming from a man's rib and now they're no longer two but one flesh finds its beginning in the person of Jesus and his bride, the church. And I'll press it even further and say the point where you really see this happening uh, is probably not where you think it really happens. The point where Jesus in a very concrete, tangible way, becomes one flesh with his bride, the church, is really when he hangs upon the cross and he's about to die, or he is dead, and they come along to break everyone's legs. And they say, they say about Jesus, it looks like he's already gone. And then what happens? Spear into his side. And from his side pours forth blood and water, which gives you a picture of a new life. That's what happens when you have kids. Blood and water pour forth from his side. And just as from Adam's side came Eve, so from Jesus' side comes his bride, the church. So it's at that point in concrete, tangible, inside things, body and blood, that the church is born and the church is married to Christ. Okay? So it's not just about the Lord getting on you. He doesn't just cover you. That's good, but he's got more gifts to give. He actually wants to take himself, the same Jesus who hung upon the cross, and put himself in you. That's what he wants. Because that will transform your life forever. Okay? Then the church on mystical union. This is so great. I tried to convince Abby to have this for our wedding. So every chance I get, I say betwixt, like this morning. We're in betwixt and in between. She thought betwixt might be a little too archaic. I frankly like it. Um, So, in the Book of Common Prayer, the wedding rite, to make solemn matrimony, says, Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God in the face of this company to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate instituted by God signifying unto us the mystical union that is betwixt Christ and his church, which holy estate Christ adorned and beautified with his presence and first miracle that he wrought in Cana of Galilee. Your marriage, our marriage, is an icon of the marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. It's an icon of one fleshness. And all, all, these, all this talk about marriage is just to help you see that you've known mystical union even if you didn't know it was there. It's been a part of your life since the very beginning. You have parents who were one flesh. You might be one flesh. You have kids who have come from your flesh. You're joined to something concrete and tangible that is not yours but has been made yours by the Lord's blessing. This is all over the place. 
I'm not making this stuff up. The Lord made it up. He wants to get on you, and he wants to get in you. He wants to join himself to you. Next, next point, flip over. So where does this happen? Now, it happens in a multitude of places, although they are all locatable places. You can't, you can't be mystically united to the Lord out on the golf course on Sunday morning. You've got to be in his space where he says, here's where I'm going to mystically unite myself to you. A word in your ear, Mary. Food in your mouth. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Water on your head and the Lord sneaking in through your skin. Or absolution, the Lord speaking into your ear, doing away with specific sins with a specific gospel. Those are all ways in which the Lord gets at you and mystically unites himself to you. But then you see here, probably the most, well, not, I can't say the most, because that would not be a gospel way of speaking. Right, Pastor Bruzek? That's right, not most. Uh, one of the many ways in which the Lord gets at you and mystically unites himself is at the supper. So the Holy Supper on the mystical union. You remember this from the proper preface, the pastor's at the altar. And he begins by saying, it is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord. Right? Right before we're about to sing Sanctus, 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 Holy, 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 which means, watch out, because heaven's coming to earth. The pastor speaks these words at the ascension, who after his resurrection, resurrection in flesh and blood, appeared openly to all of his disciples, and in their sight was taken up to heaven, this is the best part, that he might make us partakers of his divine nature. So it's not just body and blood you get from the Lord, you get all that he is. When he joins himself to you in a concrete, tangible way, it's not just that you eat his flesh. You'd be no different than a cannibal. But it's the flesh of God himself. It's body, it's blood, it's his soul, and it's his divinity which then gets us on the right track to seeing how this mystical union actually transforms us. If you just eat flesh, it won't change you. But to eat the flesh of God himself, which is in itself divine, that'll transform your life forever. Okay? To eat the flesh which is divine, which bears his divinity, and all that God is and all that God does, because those are, after all, one and the same. Who he is and what he does, there's no distinction. When you consume that flesh, that changes you, that changes your relationships, that changes the church, that changes your marriage, that changes your family, that changes your worldview forever. Which is why, frankly, the supper is the center of your life. This is what it's all about. I mean, if there's no supper, there should be no church and there should be no pastors and We shouldn't get up on Sunday mornings. This is where it's at. Because there he makes you a partaker of his divine nature. And yes, even R.S. Thomas then. Remember the poem, Cain, from a couple weeks back? And God said, it was part of myself he gave me. And this is speaking about Abel's sacrifice. The lamb was torn from my own side. It might, you, you might misunderstand a bit what the Lord does with the sacrifices. Those are actually Old Testament sacraments. 
Luther, his Genesis commentary. Because the Lord has given himself in that animal. God is actually a part of the beast who's killed on the altar. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altar slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away its stain. It can't now, but it could then. Because God himself is a part of that animal. It was part of myself he gave me, he says to Cain. That lamb was torn from my own side. That's one fleshness talk. It's the power to give forgiveness. You kill an animal in the Old Testament in the way that the Lord instituted it, and you will be forgiven. Those are Old Testament sacraments. And it's no different today. The animal's been slain, and you get to consume part of him. All of him. Body, blood, soul, and divinity of God himself in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now thus far, this has all been good fun, at least for me. But the real question is, what about you? How does this transform your own life? What does this mean for you? And so point five What about you, or how are you mystically united? And what you have to remember is, beauty is not merely favor. It's not just that the Lord plops his beauty over your flesh and says, isn't that wonderful, now they're beautiful. He does that, but he also puts beauty inside of you. So it's not merely favor. And you've heard this all the time. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. It's not just that he looks upon you now with favor, but he's actually one flesh with you and he changes who you are and how you live. Beauty is also gift. The same beauty from 10 or 12 weeks ago. God himself. He's not only on you, but he is now in you. So then Luther, you can't go wrong with Luther, plus this is late Luther, 1544, which means this is almost like scripture. It's a joke. That's a joke. (laughs) Man. Next week I'm going to start off with just all jokes. I promise I won't. Now, Okay, so 1544, Luther then. We are to become participants of the divine nature. And listen to how he talks about the Christian. And be exalted so high in nobility that we are not only to become loved by God through Christ and have his favor on you and grace as the highest and most precious shrine, but also have him, the Lord himself, dwelling in us in his fullness. Namely, he wants to say, his love is not to be limited to the removal of his wrath from us. That's why in the sermon from this morning I said... There is more to the Lord than the forgiveness of your sins. That's the first word spoken, but that's not the only word spoken. So as Luther says, there is more, namely, his love is not limited only to the removal of his wrath from us and to having the fatherly heart which is merciful to us. It's not just about him looking at you differently. But we are also to enjoy this love, otherwise it would be wasted and lost love, as as it is said, to love and to not enjoy, and gain great benefit and riches from it. God, who is beauty, not only covers you so that the Father removes his wrath from you, but he takes up residence in your body. And at least for Luther, there's great enjoyment in that. 
There's great enjoyment in that. I mean, just think, just think back to your own life and how, you know, how when you finally began to get all that the Lord was doing for you, how much joy there was in your life in doing the things you never expected to be fun. I'll give you one example. Tithing. How you began to do that because it was Jesus inside of you and you thought, you thought when you started this is going to be horrid and when you ended you thought there was no greater joy in my life. Or caring for your family. Or coming to church on Sunday. I mean, some of the greatest lines you hear from people are, I finally get that I can't survive without Sunday. That's not just the Lord removing his wrath from you. But that's Christ inside of you actually urging you, moving you, taking you himself to the place where he puts himself into you once again. That's how it transforms your life. Which is why, in one sense, theology and the church are very simple. It's all about the Eucharist. That's where you've got to get because that's where the Lord puts himself into you and he says, okay, come back next week for more. And by the way, all the stuff you thought would be difficult, it's not going to be so bad anymore. Because I'm here, I'm with you, I'm one flesh. I mean, think about, think about when you got married, how great it was, well, how great it was, at least for me, to realize you'd never be alone again. That's the way the Lord works. You're not alone. Nothing you do, you'll do, ever do alone. He's with you, he moves you, he takes you, he cares for you, and he brings you to the places where he can give himself even more fully to you. That's the Lord inside of you. Any questions so far? Nothing at all. All right. Raise your hands at any time, raise your hands at any time. There may be another way of saying this, though. There may be another way of saying this. Justification is to be forgiven. It's to have God's favor. You're justified because you've been declared righteous. The father looks at you and he sees his son, and his wrath has been removed, as Luther says. But there is more to life than merely being justified. Again, from this morning's sermon, it's not all about being justified. That's the first step, but there's much more he's got to give. So justification is being forgiven, but sanctification is living forgiven. Or as Galatians 2.20 says, it's Christ who lives in me. Not on me, but in me. That's favor and that's gift. So now you not only look different, justification, but you also live differently, sanctification. And this, I think, is where, where Pastor Bruzek, and he left us off at a great spot because he led us up to the point of saying, God's grace and his beauty diffuse into creation and they diffuse into you and that changes who you are. And the fancy way of saying that is sanctification. And that's kind of where he ended, which is helpful then for us because that's the next step. Sanctification comes. It's not merely the removal of his wrath, but it's Christ inside of you, and that allows you to live differently. And all of that is because, because of gifted one fleshness or gifted beauty or beauty inside of you or mystical union 
for Christ in you. In a very strange way, you now get to participate or have fun with or rejoice in the attributes of God himself. Love and mercy and charity and joy and peace and hope and all those different attributes that he has himself because he's inside of you who's now given to you. And at the end of the day, that really means that the incarnation is everything. There, you know, you never want to, and I say this all the time, you never want to rank the feast days against each other because, again, that would be a law way of speaking. But you don't have anything without the incarnation. I mean, two or three weeks ago, whenever it was, that is it. Because that's when the Lord takes on the flesh that he can now put inside of you. That's when he fills a body. That's when he, that's when he veils himself with body and blood and joins it to his soul and his divinity. And all of that, the whole Christ, he then gives to you as gift. He puts it in you, and that changes the way you live. Every day, every morning you wake up for yourself is a little incarnation. Because it's not you who wakes up, it's Christ in you who wakes up. It's not you who goes to the shower, it's you and Jesus together. Not buddy Jesus, like dogma on your dashboard, right? It's more than that. It's you and Jesus as one flesh. You know, sometime we should, we should at least look at it. Maybe we'll do it next time. I don't know. We should at least look at some of Luther's letters of spiritual care. Because what he does, in a very brilliant way, is he understands the impact and the effect of the incarnation. I'll give you one example. When you have the flu, so does Jesus. When you suffer, so does Jesus. When you mourn, so does Jesus. Everything you do, Jesus does as well. When the world sees you, you appear to be one and the same. You can't ever say, I'm Josh and that's Jesus. Because we're one flesh and we're one and the same. And to everyone, especially the world, this impacts how you witness you are one and the same. Okay? So the incarnation is everything. All that God is, all of his perfections are manifest. They are made man in the person of Christ as he invades this world as a gift. You know, we think Jesus just dropped down from heaven, but it's not that way. It is a cosmic invasion. This is his territory which belonged to him and has been stolen by the devil, and he comes, frankly, to do battle. He invades the enemy forces in the person of Jesus Christ. He invades the cosmos in the same way that he invades your flesh. You've been taken over by enemy forces, and he's got to get at you. So he comes inside of you, and he reclaims you for his own. Now it's his territory. You don't belong to the devil. You don't belong to Satan. This is, this is C.S. Lewis from the Screwtape Letters. He has no, the devil has no worry about you if you're not a Christian. You already belong to him. He does have fear 
if Jesus has taken up residence in your flesh because it's no longer Josh he sees, it's Jesus himself. Then he's got to do battle. And frankly, it's the same way with the world. Jesus invaded this cosmos as gift in the incarnation. And in the same way, Christ is manifest in you. He is made man in you as he invades your flesh as gift. We're at point eight, number one. So now, what goes for him also goes for you. You are one and the same. Or as Luther says, you're little Christs. So love, obedience, peace, glory, power, grace, truth, service, charity, humility, joy. I have peace again, but it shouldn't be there. Joy, etc. All of those things which belong to Christ, which go for Jesus, now go for you. If you can find it in Jesus, or better, if you can find it in his names, then you should be able to find it when you look in the mirror. Who is Jesus? And that answers the question, who am I? Or the postmodern question, what's in it for me? Just look to Jesus. Who Jesus is and what you can find in his names, that is now who you are as well in Christ. So then one of the the Christmas hymns that, frankly, I thought I despised until I was preparing for this three weeks ago, four weeks ago, not because it's not bad, it's just, just not my style, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I never, under, I never got how much gift talk there was in here. But listen to stanza four. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. I mean, that is, that is gift talk par excellence. Jesus is born inside of you. We appear to the world to be one flesh with Christ. It's a marriage. And therefore, we are one and the same with Jesus. Let me make one more point, and then we'll, we'll come back next week and talk a little bit more about this. The thing you do have to remember always is that this gifting is not yet complete. Not in the sense that you don't have all the riches Christ has to give, but in the sense that you're still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. And that still rails against all the gifts that Christ puts inside of you. So it's not yet complete in this life, living or, or, or being fully who he would have you be, because you're not yet dead. But instead, Christ keeps incarnating in you. He keeps taking up flesh and coming inside of you, Christmas in and Christmas out, week in and week out, day in and day out. But soon, and here's the joy, all of this will be finished. I can't get over how much I've begun to think about um, how things are not the way they're supposed to be in this world. I mean, this is just, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Drive past an ambulance, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Go to the hospital, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And thankfully, the Lord has reclaimed it with his blood, but we won't realize the fullness of that until, frankly, it's all done. Um... So, our hope is that soon it will be finished. And there's some days when you wake up and you hope it comes sooner than later. Um, There's some days you wake up and say, Lord, if you were to come back today, that'd be fine by me. But soon the fullness of his incarnation will be realized in you. Or as St. John says, 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, Jesus, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And so as a church, and I never, I never got this either. I used to have a pastor who would, during Advent would say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And I always thought, that is so weird. Well, now I finally have gotten it, I think. Because that's our cry every day. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. If you come today, that'd be great. If you come tomorrow, that'd be great too. If you want to wait 100 years, that's fine by me. But please come quickly. Because this is not the way things are supposed to be. History has been flawed. Sin abounds. And yet, the person of Christ still takes up residence in our flesh week in and week out to make these wrongs right. Okay? Well, I suppose I should just finish now that we're here. I was going to try to scram another week out of this thing, but we'll see what we can do. Until then, though, until then, we flee to the sacraments, which are the fountain of sanctifying grace, the place where you go and your life is renewed in such a way that you begin to live the life that Christ has called you to live. We go to the living word, the Viva Vox. Remember, get out of the way, vicars. Get out of the way, pastors. It's the Viva Vox. Don't kill it. The Viva Vox in your ear. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in your mouth. And all of that mystically unites you to Jesus in such a way that all is well. And sooner or later, you begin to live the life that he's called you to live. Just keep coming to the sacraments. Next week, I think we'll look specifically at love. Because really, love is beauty, and beauty is love, and love is one of the gifts that Christ gives because that's, that's who he is. Um, but for now, just kind of ponder this stuff, this idea that it's not all about Jesus on you. That's the first word. But it, also, it is also about Jesus taking up residence in your body. Okay? Next week, we'll, we'll refresh on some of this and see what, uh, see what we can gather. Any questions? Come back with questions next week, okay? I always say to the confirmation kids, come back with questions next week. All right, let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks for coming.